this morning, what I want to do, if you would, turn to the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read quite a bit, and it's going to be, actually, I'm going to use the Passion Version of the Bible. And we're going to go ahead and put it up there. I'm going to go ahead and read. As soon as they stepped ashore on the eastern side of the lake in the land of Gazeris, the, Gazeris, the disciples were confronted by a demon-possessed madman from a nearby town. How I many you know you're going on the trip, and all of a sudden you land, and all of a sudden a demon-possessed madman meets you? You might go, are we in the right place? You know, what did I mean? And so many times he had been put under guard and bound with chains, but repeatedly the many demons inside of him had thrown him into convulsions, breaking his shackles and driving him out of town into the countryside. It's not a good time to go stroll your baby out in the countryside, all right? And he had been demonized for a long time and was living naked in the cemetery among the tombs. And one of the versions said he would live in the tombs and he would cut himself. And he was the first body piercer. Anyway, and so when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he screamed out, what are you doing here? Let's go on. And he said, you, Jesus, the son of the most high God. Jesus commanded the demons to come out of him, and they shouted, We beg you, don't torment us. Jesus asked the men, What is your name? I love what this version says. Some say legion, but this one says mob. He says, The demons answered, We are a mob, for there are many of us in this man. We beg you, don't banish us into the bottomless pit of the abyss. It says, on the hillside nearby, there was a large herd of pigs. And the demons uh, pled with Jesus, let us, enter, let us enter into the pigs. So Jesus ordered the mob of demons to come out of the, of the man and entered the pigs. The first time they had devil's ham. And then the crazed herd of the swine stampeded over the cliff into the lake, and they all drowned. So and he said they made a deal, but they drowned anyway. Think about it. And when the herds, when the herders tended, you imagine being a herder for pigs, okay? Think about it. that's your job, full time job. You know, get get you know, get Arnold over there. And so, I mean, number one, pigs was an unclean food in in Israel. You don't eat pig, okay? Now that's they're not from South Louisiana. I mean, we eat every part of the pig. And he said, and the herders were tending saw what had happened, and they ran off in fear. And reported to the nearby town and throughout the countryside. Then the people of the region came out to see for themselves what had happened. You imagine, here they are. I mean, let's say it happened in Eunice. Now, did you know that the man that walked around naked on the main street all the time? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that brother, I mean, we try to put clothes on him. He tears it. The police department comes by. The fire department, they put shackles on him. He breaks them all up. He stops by the Rev coffee shop over there, and they, they just give him free coffee because they don't want to mess with him. Yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the naked guy. Yeah. That hangs out by the graveyard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You imagine here, so when they came to where Jesus was, they discovered the notorious madman. Look what it says. What does it say? What does it say? Totally? Totally. That means everything. That's nothing left. Totally set free. I love this. He was clothed. He was speaking intelligently. And the Bible, one of the versions said he was in his right mind. And sitting, what does it say? Sitting at whose feet? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. They were shocked. 
You know what? They were more afraid of a man that had been delivered and been set free than the man that was demon-possessed. Think about that. When I first got saved, I started going around telling people everywhere about Jesus. I didn't know scripture. I didn't know. I just started telling people about it. I had an encounter with Jesus. See, I, didn't, I wasn't there to talk to people about religion and changing their religion. I was there. How many of you know religion never changes anybody ever? Okay, just put, fills you with a lot of knowledge and you argue with people about the knowledge you have. And you try to convince that you're right, you're wrong. I mean, I mean, I used to have a Jehovah Witness grandmother, okay? I always tell people, my mom was Methodist, my dad was Baptist, his mom was Jehovah Witness, my mom's mom was charismatic, she left my dad, and she married another man, he was Catholic. So I didn't need religion, I needed, I must say, the confusion. And so when I, I mean, I went to Episcopal school, public school, uh, Catholic school, all these different things. So I had heard, I'd seen, but when I had an encounter with God, it was the real deal. I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I was at the, I was at the bars I was hanging with at the strip in Lafayette. And that's what they used to call on McKinley street. And I'm just telling people about Jesus. And I can remember when I tell them, they were like, they were freaking out. Baba, what's wrong? I had one guy goes, Baba. His name was George Bounds. He goes, Papa, what does that mean? He goes, you're not going to go out and chase girls anymore? I said, well, if God wants to give me one, he'll give me one. He goes, you don't want, and he started going down the list, and he was really worried. He goes, you still duck hunt, don't you? I said, yeah, I still duck hunt, but I gave my life to Jesus. It was a journey. And can I tell you something? When you give your life to Jesus, he begins to set things right in your mind. How many of you, let's just say, let me ask you, how many had a lot of stinking thinking before you came to know the Lord? Okay, this side, we know you're honest. This side, we're praying for. And so, I mean, you know that there's times, can I just tell you? The Bible says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and not be conformed to the image of this world. I know that even when I read my Bible, there's bad thoughts that come to me right before I read my Bible. Yep, come on, come on. Try to discourage you, get you away. I'm just speaking the truth to you. And, and it's like, I know that for me, sometimes I have to take every thought captive and go, you know what? I'm here to do something today. And listen, I read the Bible every day. It's not because I'm a preacher, because I'm a lover of Jesus. And I want to be prepared what I'm going to face, what I'm going to deal with during the day. And you need to do the same. And I'm not here to condemn you, but the townspeople were more afraid of a man sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind instead of being possessed by demons. And I believe this, the world around us, when you're in your right mind, you have right things to say. You have a right perspective. Because I believe this, when you sit at the feet of Jesus, come on, he might talk to you. He might love on you. I'm a touchy-feely kind of guy. You know, that's my love language. When I grew up, you know, I mean, my family's been in Louisiana since 1722, 300 years. They, they were from Acadia, but they landed in New Orleans. And then they moved to Lauraville. Now, some of you don't know where Lauraville is, south of Nigeria. And I'm like, okay, there were Spanish and Cajuns right there. And uh, I was related to the Lampereses and the Oobs. And so, my grandma, if you, if you run into a leperez, that's your, that's your relative shy. If you run into oob, be careful. They got some bad oobs and got some good oobs. And so, if you're oob, I don't know who you are, what track you're from. But anyway, and, 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 and it's like, I just know that I'm, so I'm part of this culture. I'm deep embedded in this culture, even though I have a last name that's Irish, McCann. I don't know, some little Irish guy came in. I don't know what happened. 
But here's the thing. When God begins to do things in your mind and in your heart, he begins to change you from the inside out. You know, it's not about what you wear. It's not about your hair. It's not about all those things. It's about who you are in God. And when you spend time with him, guess what? You just become, you become more like him. You know, I'm a touchy-feely guy. My wife grew up in Washington. They, her dad never kissed her. They didn't hug. Like in my, 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 a certain side of the McCann family, we still, kiss with, we still kiss men with our lips. We're not changing our lifestyle. We just, that's just part of what we do. We hug. Come on. I'm not telling you. Like people come over, oh, I kiss my boys on the lips. And some people go, oh, golly, that's my boy. Now, the little four-year-old that they used to be is not there anymore. But in my heart, in my mind, they're still my boys. Are you hearing me? And it's like, you know, my wife, when we first got married, you know, it's like too much affection was kind of like, oh, you know, oh, you know, what is that? It's called love, <laughs> you know, and it's not just the physical, you know, but it's like that's how we express affection towards each other. And so this morning, what I want to do is that here they were, they weren't going to give any affection to this guy that had just been delivered. There wasn't a, like a hugging ceremony. We are so glad, demon man or decked boy or whatever you want to call him, you know, uh, that we, you, you've just been delivered. They were afraid of him because he had been with Jesus. You see, here's, I'm going to ask you three questions. Here's the first question. What do you want? What do you want God to do in your life? What do you want? Oh, man, I want to be rich. I want to be this. There's a lot of things people want. But I'm talking about what do you want from God? What do you need from God? You see, there's a, there's a scripture, and it's in Luke. I'm, 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 like I said, we're going to read a lot of Bible this morning. Is that okay? That's what we came here for. Amen? Amen. Okay, you didn't come out here to walk out the same that you came in. Hopefully you had an expectation that God, you know, you had an expectation for a visitation from Jesus. And that he would speak to you, that you'd walk in what he says for you need to do. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 35 through 43, but it says this, and, and I'm going to read it from here. As Jesus and his followers arrived at Jericho, there was a blind beggar sitting on the roadside. When he heard the crowd approaching, he asked, what is all this commotion about? What's going on? And he goes, and they go, it's Jesus. Now look, when you're blind, you hear better. So if he's blind, imagine people have been talking about Jesus already. And he's thinking, oh, wow, he's fine. And he said, Jesus, look what he says, Jesus, the Nazarene is passing by. So he knew, he'd heard about Jesus. The blind beggar shouted, and as Jesus was walking by, he said, Jesus, son of David, have pity and show me mercy. Those who were in the front of the crowd scolded him and warned him to shut up or to be quiet. In other words, when they're scolding, going, hey, quit making a scene. Shut up. It's like Mardi Gras, you know. Hey, mister, throw me something, you know. And he goes, and he goes but the beggar began to scream out louder. How many of you have ever been determined that you go, you're going to get attention? Come on. I've had my kids at different times. I can't, I don't hear well. So sometimes they'll go, Dad! And I'm like, did somebody say something? Dad! 
Is that true, Andrew? Anyway, don't, don't answer that. And he said, and Jesus said to David, he, and he said, but the beggar screamed out louder. Jesus said, son of David, show me mercy. Suddenly Jesus stopped. That's what he cried out. Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Suddenly Jesus stopped. He told those nearby, bring the man over to me. Imagine their attitude probably changed a little bit. Hey, hey, oh, you know, people that were selling, shut up, you're making a scene. Don't, don't, don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass us. Oh, he's calling you. Hey. <laughs> and, and so when he told this number, bring the man over to me. When they brought him before Jesus, he asked the man, what is it you want me to do for you? You know, Jesus asked that of you. He asked that of me when we sit at his feet. What is it you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, please, I want to see again. And those who were in the front of the crowd scolded him, warned him. That's okay. Is that, that it? Okay, let me just go back. Here's the thing. Jesus is asking you the same question today. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Maybe your marriage is having issues and you need God to come into your marriage. Maybe there's some things that you're trying to overcome in your life. Maybe there's some struggles you have. Maybe you've had struggles with alcohol or drugs or smoking cigarettes. And you sometimes you get your cigarette. I remember my dad was trying to quit. He, he'd fuss at his cigarette. He, he was so mad. He'd go, I'm tired of you. And he, but, but it was like, it's like people when they're struggling. Come on. Struggling to overcome, struggling to make a difference, struggling, God, I want to overcome this because I don't want this to be represented in my life. I don't want to run to that anymore. I want to learn to run to you, that you be my strength, that you be my source. And see, like sometimes we're blind, like blind Bartimaeus. But what happens if you look, if you know anything, Bart really was the one who, who saw. And the crowd was blind. He's the one that saw. He reached out, just like the woman with the issue of blood. He reached out, but with his voice. He reached out with his faith. He reached out. And see, like if you look at verse 41, go to verse 41. We have that up there? No? Or just, okay. 41? No? We don't have that? Okay. I'll just read it. He said, Lord, let me recover. Is that it? No? Let me recover my sight. And he said, and Jesus said to him, recover your sight. He says, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received the sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they began to praise God. You know, when Jesus taught, a, you know, when Jesus was in a crowd, he always t- talked about the kingdom of heaven. He always tried to give people a picture of what the kingdom of heaven was like. And, and I like to call Barnabas Bart. Bart had an expectation. See, Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, Bart left his garment. In other words, beggars had, they just wore certain things. There's just certain things that they had. He had a garment. It means he had like a, a blanket or a robe, and it represented his life. And when he saw Jesus call him out, Mark says he set aside his garment. I mean, he set aside, I'm not going back to that anymore. I'm going towards Jesus. And see, for many of us is that what we do is we get settled in certain things. And sometimes we let the crowd speak to us and we don't move. 
How many of you hear voices in your head sometimes? You're not committed, are you? You people, oh, you're crazy. You hear voices. We all hear voices every day. The alarm goes off. Oh, five more minutes. That boy's going, five more minutes. You know? Or like, you know, we just hear things. Like, or like you're going to go, a new year, you're going, all right, I'm going to go start running. Oh, Jesus. And then you run, you know, and then you come back, and the next day you're, oh, I can't run what I used to do in high school. I did it, but oh, my gosh. And then someone drops a pencil, and they go, would you please pick up my pencil? Oh, oh. You feel every ache, every bone, and every joint in your muscles and everything else. Am I making sense yet? Yeah. And Mark said, and he threw away his garment. And it was his identity that he needed money. It's amazing, you know, I've I've been able to travel to Africa, uh, Central America, Mexico, Europe, America. I worked in the streets and and across America for eight years. I did inner city work. I lived in almost every major city. And for for a guy being from Lafayette, I remember seeing my first bag, bag lady. I remember seeing the first person that ever lived in it. All their stuff was in a shopping cart. I didn't understand that because I didn't see that in Lafayette growing up. And all of a sudden, I began, you know, beggars have a way of getting to you. They, 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 they're slick, man. They, got, they, they know how to charm. They just do. I remember, you know, some, like, like some guys go, hey, man, just, man, would you mind giving me, like, you know, like a couple bucks or just, just seem to get me something to eat. And I go, hey, man, I'll do better than that. I'll go buy you something. I remember one guy goes, I'll go buy you something. Hey, man, give me a couple bucks. I just want a beer. <laughs> you know? I go, he's an honest beggar. You know? And the thing is, is in other words, once he heard Jesus' voice, he said in faith, I don't need this anymore. I don't need this. Look, when you're struggling and you're walking through something, you might have things that you're struggling with. I don't know what it is. For me, before I knew the Lord, it was drugs, alcohol, pornography. Those are things that I dealt with that I struggled with. And I remember meeting Jesus, and I got rid of all those things. I literally did. I put it on a big glad trash bag, called it my devil bag, left it in the middle of my apartment. My friends would come over, and I'd tell them how I gave my life to Jesus. And my friend, I, I, back then we had albums. I broke a few albums. I, I broke my albums and put them in the bag. And my roommate walked in and goes, hey, yeah, man, that's like, great. You have a devil bag. But some of them albums are mine, man. Don't, don't make mine. And ended up leading him to the Lord later on. But the thing is, is that, I just know this is that, in other words, once he heard Jesus' voice, he said in faith, I don't need this. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to be blind anymore. I don't want to be religious. I don't want this thing to control me. I don't want this thing. I'm throwing off all this stuff. Come on. First, we've got to get through all the fat. Come on. In order to get to the meat, you've got to cut through the fat. And for some people, how many of you ever meet people that are just full of fat? I'm not saying they're, I'm saying just, they're, it's just like, how can I, what's another word? They, they're all about themselves. It's so much about themselves, they stink. You know what I mean? They want to control the conversation. They want to tell everybody about everything, and everybody's talking, and then it all comes back to them, and they tell you everything. You know what I mean? Y'all, okay, y'all not relating to anybody in my family then. I, mean, I have some relatives like that. 
I mean, I'm, I'm a talker. I mean, I, one time I was going to get treatment, my wife was going, looked at me one day, and she's, she goes, hey, Bubba, do you realize since we left the house, we were in Dusong, heading to Our Lady of the Lords. Since we left the house, I haven't said one word. You've been talking the entire time. And I'm, like, I'm sorry. I, I, I just didn't notice it. But when you feel with yourself, come on, you don't notice it. Or you think you got your conversations, you got to, you know, and, and let me just give you an ex, uh, just, you know, some of you might have jacked up marriages. Let me just give you a little bit of a hint. If it's been cold in your marriage, look at me. Women, you know, like I had a guy, uh, I, um, uh, she, you know, I said, you know, the, this guy goes, well, I know what women want. What do they want? And he tells me, I go, you're a dumb man. <laughs> you know, like you ask, well, what, do women, what do men want? Oh, I know what women, what men want. I think my, my, my old friend, Miss Savage, one day, she goes, you know, bats above, but all the men's is the same. They bark all day, all day, but they meow at night, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not the intimate thing that men men really want. They want to be respected, and women want to be listened to. Hello, they just want to be listened to. And if you learn the art of listening, let, let me just say something. It won't be cold in your bed. It's, it's just, women have that, they just have a, a need to let things out. And, and it's like, they get cleansed when they let those things out. Come on. And I've had God tell me at times when I went to go read my Bible a couple of times and just say, I want you to go spend some time with Tracy. I want you to go talk to her. I want you to, no, I want you to go listen to Tracy. And just, hey, what's up? And she'll go. If I give her the key she, and she puts it in drive, she can go. And then sometimes, here's, I've been guilty. I've learned to control that. Sometimes I, in the conversation, you kind of go, oh. <laughs> and she goes, you're not interested. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I had to repent, but anyway, just. But I've learned to listen and for them to be cleansed. And it may take some. I remember my uncle, he was married 65 years, and they go, what's the key? He'd gone on to be with the Lord. He was funny. He goes, oh, me and Dolly, when we got married, we decided we were going to do two things. We were going to love each other and be there for each other. And the second thing we talked about, we'd never go to bed angry. And he said, you know, we've stayed up for three days, but we've never gone to bed angry. (laughs) You know? And so... The Bible, listen to me, Jesus took show and tell to a whole nother level. When I was a kid, we'd do show and tell. You remember that? You'd always like, you know, I'm bringing my dog today. You know, I'm bringing, it was like, it was real show and tell when I was a kid. Not nowadays, you know, here's my dad, 357 now, and then we just, ah, close the school down. We'd bring guns to school. I mean, Lily, you could drive your truck and you have a tr- uh, your shotgun and your rifle hanging on the back. He's through the window. No one said anything back then. We weren't terrorists. We weren't, but we didn't have all the stuff that they have too or the games they play. And I'm, that's a whole other message. But the only thing that's harder than waiting on God, listen to me, 
The only thing that's harder than waiting on God is wishing you had waited on God. The only thing that's harder than waiting on God is wishing you had waited on God. And see, the Bible wasn't given to increase your knowledge, but it was given to change your life, to bring a heart change, to bring a life change, to give you direction. It's like a compass. It can show you where you need to go. It can describe how you need to walk. It's just a compass. The Bible said it's a light in the middle of the darkness. It's like a light when you don't know where to go, when everything seems dark. It lightens, it illuminates areas in our lives and things that we have to make decisions about. It shows us things. You see, a person who experiences a touch from God is proof enough that Jesus is what he says he is. The naked man, he had an experience with God. Bart, Barnabas, had experience with God. He was blind, and now he saw. The lame man, they brought him before the, the religious guys, and they said, how did you do this? And they just said this. The one thing they do, they recognize that they had hung out with Jesus. Hanging out with Jesus will bring a difference in your life. Hanging out with Jesus, people will notice it. And see, the first question is, what do you want? The second question is, what do you have? Now, now Peter, and I'm going to read from Acts. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, in the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being, being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. This is called beautiful to ask, alms. And it says this, and he said, alms was... It was asking for money. Uh, entering the temple, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as John did, and said, look at us. There's one thing about beggars. I've learned that they know how to look at you. Rice? You give me some rice, feed my family? They just know. And he says this, and he said, and they fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I had no silver and gold, but how many of you know there's some good butts in the Bible and some bad butts in the Bible? It's depending on where you put your butt. And he says this, he said, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Listen to me. They didn't have what the world might have thought they had, but they had something greater. They had something deeper. They had something that people want. They, they had power, and it was not their power. It was the power of God. God's not asking you to give what you don't have. God's asking you to give what you got. Come on. The story is told that the Pope was was counting silver and gold coins in his chest one day, and Thomas Aquinas walked in. He said, hey, it's good to see you, Thomas. He, he was really excited to see Thomas, and he said, we can no longer say that we have silver and gold. And Thomas looked at him, and he says, neither can we say, rise and walk. You know, you can't give what you don't have. You just can't. If you ain't got something to give to someone, you can't give it. I was walking out, and I, I always ask the Lord, 
to speak to me. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And I was walking out of Lourdes a couple weeks ago, and there was a lady. She was in kind of like in the entryway, and she's just going, oh. She was sitting in a wheelchair, oh, oh. And there's a lady sitting right next to her, and, and she's like, she's trying to comfort her. It's okay, it's okay. And I'm walking, and the Lord says, go back, pray for her. So I went, and I go, hey, hey, look, uh, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? What is it you need? And she goes, I'm in pain. I'm in severe pain. And her daughter's looking at her. Her daughter's 40-something, maybe 50. So her mom's 70-ish, 80, somewhere in there. And, all. and the lady's holding a crocheted little cross with little tassels on it. And she's holding that. How I many you know that can't do anything for her? Maybe to comfort her to rub something. I heard of a guy dying. He was worshiping this statue. And he was, it, to him it was God. And on the bottom it said made in India. You can't trust something made by person. You have to trust the God that you can't see sometimes. But he puts you in situations that maybe you can help people see give them hope and I just went over can I pray for and I just prayed and and you know she was like oh thank you so much and I didn't wait and see if she whatever I just I did what God told me to do because listen this is your life is like this whatever's in you is going to come out of you when you get bumped hello yeah, I need a bit of water anyway so. you know what you have is what God wants to give you. I was reading the scripture the other day in, in Timothy, and it said this. It said, mercy kissed me. I said, God, I need a kiss. God, can you just give me a little kiss of mercy? How many know we all need a little mercy sometimes? We receive something we don't deserve. And then it said he was captured by God's grace. He was kissed by mercy and captured by grace. And I thought, Man, I want to be captured by grace. I want to give people grace. How many of you know sometimes it's hard to forgive people that have wounded you and hurt you? But you know what? Sometimes unforgiveness keeps you locked up. Like the crippled man, like the blind man, like the naked man. Unforgiveness will bind you. You won't see. There's times that I had to go when I got saved and I had to go ask people to forgive me. Listen, look at me. Marriage is the hardest thing you'll do in life. Learn to be a professional forgiver. Hey, baby, I'm a jer- I've been a jerk. Will you forgive me? Y'all smile at me, but you know you need to do that sometimes. And the most mature one in your marriage is the first one that will ask for forgiveness. You know, sometimes we go, I ain't doing nothing until they do something. That hard-headed catfish, he's worse than like getting a catfish on your hook, trying to beat it on the side of the boat, and it won't come off. My God, I ain't doing it. I did it last time. It's his turn. (laughs) Well, you may wait for eternity. Forgiveness. Am I making sense? How about healing? You know, unforgiveness keeps you from being healed. 
Well, Pastor Bubba, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. No, I don't. But can I tell you something? If the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if the conviction of God is on your life, and sometimes you can't ask for people to forgive you because they've gone on to this, to a, you know, gone on. They've passed away. I had a lady one time said, well, go write a list of all the things that they did to you and go give it to God and burn it. And she did it, and she goes, I was free. How about grace? Giving someone grace. Oh, I'll pray grace. Grace, grace. That's all that's going, grace. But giving, how about love? How about compassion? You know, that's the one thing that's missing in our, our culture. When someone says they're going through something, you know what I just do? I just do this. I'm so sorry. As a pastor, people go, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I don't know everything they're going, but I'm sorry. I have compassion. Because I've walked through things that might not be what you're walking through, but I have, I've had experiences where I've been wounded, I've been hurt, when people have spoken to me or cussed me out, doing the, trying to do the right thing. And you see, you can't find freedom in your life until you're willing to forgive, until you're willing to walk in grace, until you're willing to trust again. See, Corinthians says it like this, 2 Corinthians 9, 11, You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And he says, and through us, your generosity result in thanksgiving to God. Here's the first question. What do you want? Second question is, what do you have? And the last question, as I bring this to an end, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, what you're going to do when they come for you. You know what I mean? That, that, you know. What started out looking like a message of legion, Jesus healed the legion in chapter 8, and in verse, chapter 9, he did something totally different with his disciples. And he did this. I'm going to read. And he said, one day Jesus, verse 1, verse 2, that's all I'm going to read. And Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and, heal the, and, and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God to heal the sick. After giving him both the ability and authority, Jesus commissioned the 12. That's what he said, go do it. Simply just do. Do. Look, you don't need more Bible knowledge. You just need more doing knowledge. You need to just go do. Come on. Most of us know in America, pretty much we understand the gospel. But I believe this, there's a lot of people that are spiritually constipated. They're backed up. They haven't let anything pass through them. And because of that, they just fill with stuff. They know, but they don't do. Are you, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. See, after giving the the, to do that, he said, just go and do it. All throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you just see, here's three things that the the disciples did. They preached the gospel. They shared with people good news. Not only did they they cast out devils. When people had a devil, they just cast it out. You know? And what do you mean by that? I've had people that manifested voices and freaked people out, and I've cast the devil out of them. 
And, you know, and it's like I've just seen God manifest that way. You know, but it could be other things that they're, they're just bound, just darkness bound over those things. And, and heal the sick. That means you pray for them. My friend uh, Harry Gomes, when we were looking at this building, we came by this building. He's literally prayed in India. You know, he's, he's had people rise from the gra- grave, dead, in a coffin, dead. And they rise. You imagine, I mean, how many of you have a more fear of God seeing that? Come on, you understand? Whoa, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we came by this building, and he, he, when he'd come, he goes, he'd take his shoes off, you remember, and he goes, he'd come to the front, and he'd kneel down, and he said, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob. You know, he just, Isaac, Jacob, and he'd go, the God of Harry Gomes. He'd come, I'm serious. And when he, would, when he preaches, he, go, he like, I was like, he preaches a scripture like so fast. You go, that, that ain't right. And then I started following him. I go, dude, he's accurate. He's full on. I asked him, I said, Harry, how did you learn the scripture like that? I can barely remember Jesus wept. That's the scripture, okay? Anyway, <laughs> so for some of you, you know, it's the shortest scripture in the Bible. And, and it goes, oh, Apostle Bubba. <laughs> he said, when I got saved, I stayed in the presence of the Lord for three months, and God put a blue chip in my brain. I said, I lost that blue chip, you know. And, and, but like we came by this building, we prayed for it, and we just go. And I remember how he prayed. He goes, he put his hand on the building. This is your building. Let's go. How many of you know we all need people to have faith to provoke us in our faith? You know, Jesus was referring to all of us. How many you know we're body, soul, and spirit? You know, and the gospel refers, you know, the gospel's about your spirit, man. Casting out demons is about your soul. Reaches people's souls. Heal the sick is their body. Is what, here's a question. Is what you're living for worth dying for? Is it? I've told my wife many times, you know, I said, man, I, I don't want to die like in a hospital bed and eating kale, you know, because that's supposed to be good for you. I remember like when I first got cancer, my wife was getting all these, people were giving us all these things we need to do. You need to eat this. And she, she put kale in the oven and crisped it out, put some seasoning. And I'm, I'll tell you, she goes, try this. And I try to go, Dang, what is that? She goes, kale. I go, the hell with kale. She goes, yeah, but it's the number one thing for cancer. What's number two? But we I'm not dying with that taste in my mouth. I'm from South Louisiana. I'm going to die with a good egg to fail. You know, come on, shot. You know, and it's like, but when I think about the disciples that followed Jesus, all of Jesus' disciples died a martyr's death except one, John. Now he was bold in all. I wouldn't want that. Matthew was killed by a sword in Ethiopia while he was preaching. Peter was crucified up, upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified like his Lord. James the Great was beheaded in Jerusalem. Bartholomew was flogged to death. James was thrown over 100 feet down from a, a, a porch, landed 100 feet down. They saw that he was alive, and they beat him. He survived, and they beat him with clubs. 
Thomas was stabbed with a spear with a spear in India on a missions trip. Andrew, not my Andrew, but Andrew was whipped severely seven times with soldiers in, in Greece. Then he was crucified. And the followers heard Andrew as he was going to be crucified. He was, I've long desired and expected this happy hour while he preached for two days until he died. Those were men and women. I could tell you a story. I have a book called Martyr's Mirror. It's about this thick, and it tells all the stories of all the martyrdom that's happened in the church world till 1600. Then they have Fox's book. You know, they have Fox's Book of Martyrs. That is like a begin. That's like a, a starter kit okay, compared to Martyr's Mirror. You know, and, and let me just say, don't let your pain become your identity. Let let it become your testimony. Let whatever you're going through, because listen, we're all going to be tested. The Bible says they overcame by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they didn't count their lives dear unto themselves. Testimony, you know what testimony means? I've been through a test. I've been through a trial. Now I have a story to tell how God got me out of it, how God was with me. I'm in the right church this morning. You see, I believe this is that, you know, when whatever paralysis they try to give you, whatever happens, you know, you're not you're not to argue it. You just go, you know what? I just believe that signs follow faith and signs follow decisions. You hear me? When I found out I had cancer, the first thing I did, I promise you before the living God, my wife Sarah's a witness, the first thing, I got on my knees. I can't get on my knees. I went and got all my ducks and my geese out of the blinds yesterday. It's, I'm sore. And, and I'll do it. Anyway, I, when she told me that I had cancer, I just got on my, on my knees. And I said, this is all I prayed. I held my wife's hand. I held the doctor's hand, Dr. Karen Roden. And I said, God, I trust you. I trust you. And I looked at the doctor, and I got up a little quicker, and, and I said, Doc, God's with me. And I don't know where this journey is going to bring us, but my wife and my family, we're going to trust the Lord. And I just hope that you see our faith and what God has for you. And, you know, over the years, I was able to speak to her. I've been able to minister to some of the doctors. One of the doctors was my big, actually grew up, we grew up the same time in Lafayette, hung out with the same friends and all that. And he, uh, he said, I've watched you, Baba. And he said, I need, you are my, I've watched you and you've helped me in my faith. I wasn't trying. I wasn't like, I'm going to help him in his faith. I'm going to write that on a piece of paper. I didn't do that. Can I just say something? Whatever's in you is going to come out of you. Whatever people bump you is going to pop out of you. It's all right. It's going to dry. <laughs> Jamie's not going to, what Pastor Bubba did? Water all over the church, man. Golly. I said, man, I was just trying to sprinkle some living water, man of God. <laughs> a person that experiences a touch from heaven is proof enough that Jesus is who he is. He says who he is. What do you want? What do you have? What are you going to do? Look at me. I can't. 
I can't answer those questions. All I can do is provoke you. Do you go, God? See, some of you, you may be walking through, yeah, thank you, Andrew. Some of you walking through some health issues. Thank you, sorry. That's what you want. You want to be free. Some of you are walking through some things you're struggling to overcome, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. If you're battling unforgiveness or you're battling something, some habit you've had that's been formed generation after generation in your family, and you go, I need a break. God, I need you to break this. That's what you want. Amen? Amen. What do you have? You can't give anything unless you have it. You can't give it away. Peter and John said, hey, we don't have this, but I mean, we got something else we can give you. Jesus. What you going to do? Look at me. We're all on a journey. You know, you could have your worst day today. I believe this. You can have your worst day and your best day all on the same day. How do you know that? Because I think about the thief on the cross. That was his worst day. No hope on a cross being crucified for what he deserved, what he did. But then they put another guy next to him. His name was Jesus. His worst day became his best day because he said, today you'll be in paradise with me. I don't know what you're going through, but God can turn your worst moment into the best moment, whatever you face. I want you to do this. I want everybody, just close your eyes. Lift your hands, both your hands to the Lord. You don't have two questions. You just have a great dependence. Father, right now, I thank you. You know what people really, when I say what they want, what they really need, God. What they need right now. And I pray that you would go against every lie, everything that's built up in their minds. I can't change this. I can't do this. God, you're not the God of, I can't. You're the God that can. You can when you looked at blind Bartimaeus and said, what do you want? He goes, I, I want to see. And Father, for those that have struggled and they know that you're calling them to use them in a greater way, what do I have? You have the Son of God living inside of you. You have resurrection power. The Bible says there's no greater joy than knowing him. same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you you have something to give maybe God's been speaking to you about giving something to someone else maybe your time maybe it's forgiveness maybe it's grace in their life I don't know what it is but whatever God's telling you that you have give it away and you know what he'll do he'll bless you more bless you more some of you are just holding back things God's saying it's time it's time to move all your chips to the middle of the table and trust Him. What are you going to do? My challenge to you is not live in fear. Not to live in doubt or shame or guilt. If you're really living in shame and guilt, the gospel is the power to overcome that. You can give your shame and your guilt to Him. You can give your sins, whatever you felt, whatever you felt this week. You don't have to walk out with it today because his blood can cover it. 
He said, if you ask for forgiveness, he'll give it to you. But you got to ask. And he'll wash you. The Bible says he'll wash you clean as snow. He'll cleanse all unrighteousness from you. Sometimes we're just caught in that trap and we just we condemn ourselves more than God does. What are you, God's asking you to do? Go and do it. I pray that for every person here this morning, God. Thank you for every precious person. They're on a journey that's called life. And our greatest desire, the reason we're here, we have an expectation that we can leave this place today touched by you, challenged by you, but give us the power to go and do what you ask us to do. I pray that upon every person here in this room. In the mighty name of Jesus, and if you believe that, say, I believe it, and I trust God. Amen.